Let's pray, and we'll hear from the Lord. Psalm 131, a song of ascent. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. In Psalm 133, a song of ascent. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For the Lord has commanded his blessing, life forever. Father, I pray that today we would hear from you and from your word what you have to say about humility and your example to us of humility and how that should teach us how to be unified even more. And I pray you would grow us in this area. I, need, I know I need growth in this area. Amen. So Philippians 2, 1 through 11 is our passage today. So we're going to start by reading that. I would um, like to start at reading at verse 27, though. And we'll just kind of get a bit of a running start because I want to show you where uh, this text fits inside of the book of Philippians. So just kind of so you know, get you up to speed on where I'm going. I'm going to read the text. And then I'm going to show you how the text fits in the whole book of Philippians, and then we're going to zoom in on the text itself, and I'll show you the two main points from there. So would you stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word? So Philippians 1, starting at verse 27, "...only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit." with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So... If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You may be seated. So, 
the main, what are the two main verses in the whole book of Philippians is 127 and 28. Those two verses with the main phrase being, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So every passage in the book of Philippians kind of swirls around that idea of your manner of life being worthy of the gospel of Christ. So in 2, 1 through 11, it's a, a life worthy of the gospel by unity of mind achieved through humi- following Christ's example of humility. In 2, 12 through 16, it's a go- life worthy of the gospel by living as lights in the world. As 3, 1 through 4, uh, life worthy of the gospel by not following the Judaizers, but following the example of Paul, who is pressing on towards the upward call of the gospel. You could divide, that's a large section, you could divide it into subsections. But. And then uh, lastly, a life worthy of the gospel by living at peace with each other. So that's 4, 2 through 3. I urge Iodia and Sinchiki to live at peace with each other. And by rejoicing in the Lord, not being anxious. That's 4, 4 through 7. So, our passage, backing back up to where we are, is fitting in in Paul explaining, here is how you live a life worthy of the gospel. And in uh, verse 27, 127, so whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So he's talking about them being one. And if you look again uh, at our, our passage, it's going to be verses 1 and 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same uh, love, being in full accord and of one mind. So he's talking about them being one. That hasn't changed from verses 27 and 28 down to verses 1 and 2. So let's not let the chapter division throw us off there. He's talking about unity. And he's talking about unity all the way through to verse 11. And that's why we have a really big section, because his topic never changed. And because of time, that's why we're not really starting at verse 27. We would use that for introduction. So two main points. First main clause is complete my joy. That's going to be verses 1 through 4. Complete my joy. Uh, So he's talking about unity here. Complete my joy by being unified. The second division is going to be verses 5 through 11. The main clause there being, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. These two sections are connected by verses 3 and 4, which are going to be these put-on, put-offs. Don't be selfish and prideful, be humble and serve each other. That's how we're going to achieve humility. So, that's us kicking off. Now let's really get going. It's the main point of this passage. Main point. Two parties are to be unified by having the same mind. That is, the mind that Christ had when he laid aside his glory and came to earth in obedience to the Father and in service to our needs. That's, that's my point. We are to be unified by being humble like Christ was humble when he was obedient to the Father and came to earth and get served us. If we want to say it shorter, in a short manner, unity is achieved when two parties look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. So, Here we go. Verses 1 through 4. Complete my joy by being unified. 
how am I getting complete my joy as being the main idea here in verses 1 through 4? And really kind of through this whole section here. Got a couple of reasons, actually. So first of all, complete my joy. The main verb there is imperative. So this just gets a little bit nerdy. Stick with me. It gets less nerdy here in a second, but it's imperative. It's a command. Complete my joy. And he's going to tell you, how, how do we complete your joy? So Paul already has joy. Man, you guys have encouragement in Christ. And this is great. And you've got like, uh, what else does he say there? God, encouragement in Christ. And you guys have comfort for, in love. And you're all participating in the Spirit. And you've got affection and sympathy. This is all great. Now, make it better by having the same mind having the same love. It's a command. Make it better. Okay? So that's how we're getting that. Second reason is everything in verses 1 and 2 swirls around that phrase, complete my joy. So if you're reading the NASB, you'll have four if clauses. If you're reading the ESV, you have four commas. Those commas indicate if. So we'll read it like this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ if any comfort from love, if any participation in the Spirit, if any affection and sympathy, then we have this, then complete my joy. That's what he's saying here. If this is true, then this should also be true. I will also point out that there are four thens. So these things match up. So if we're going to match them up and complete this if-then phrase, it would read like this. If there is any encouragement in Christ... Then complete my joy by being of the same mind. If there is any comfort from love, then complete my joy by being of the same love. So they're matching up. If there is any participation in the Spirit, then make my joy complete by being of full accord. So how do we get unity between us, brothers and sisters? Well, it's Christ dwelling inside of us with His Spirit, bringing us unity. So again, they're matching up. If there is any affection and sympathy, then make my joy complete by being of one mind. So four if clauses complete my joy, four then clauses. He did that on purpose to make that central so that we would know what he is commanding the Philippians and what he is commanding us, even though we're going to take it throughout the ages, is to complete his joy. It's kind of weird to think. We have the ability, even now, to complete the apostles' joy by following his command. And what is his command? That we be unified. How do we be unified? That's a great question. That's why he have verses 3 and 4. Okay? So, complete my joy. The proofs are, it's imperative. The things are swirling of it. Four if clauses, four then clauses. And now he's going to say this. Put off pride and selfishness. Put on humility and selflessness. That's what verses 3 and 4 are saying. They're repeating the two ideas. So let's look at that real quick. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. These two verses perform the same function by naming two things which cause disunity. Selfishness, pride. So if selfishness and pride is what's calling, causing disunity, which is going to cause us not to have the same mind 
us not to be unified in spirit, us not to be encouraged in Christ, it's going to be because I'm looking out for number one. I'm looking out for me. And if I'm not looking out for me, I'm not thinking about you. So that's why he says so many times about mind. He says it three times. It's twice in verse 2. So look at this. Um, Verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. And then you jump down to verse 5, have this mind. We have to be thinking. So when he says mind here, it's not like he's referring to that physical... I don't know what your brain is made out of. So there, I just displayed my ignorance. It's not like he's talking about your physical brain, your mind, your head. Have this kind of head knowledge about you. It's, it has the sense of have this way of thinking and judging and considering about you. Have this way of judging. Be, be lined up in your value systems, in your mindset and the way that you consider things. Be lined up in that. And that he gets into even more. What, what are you talking about? Be lined, how do we be lined up in that? And that's where Christ's example comes in. We're getting ahead of ourselves. So, well, actually, I'm the one who's getting ahead. Anyways, <laughs> let's talk about, though, what's going to cause disunity. Because we're going to put off these things, put on new actions. Names two things, selfish ambition and conceit and looking out for our own interests. Selfish ambition, the Greek word here is eretheia. This is very interesting. One commentator has this to say, quote, the word later denotes the attitude of those who work for wages, and particularly it denotes a self-seeking pursuit of a political office by unfair means. It then came to be used of party squabbles, of the jockery for position, of intriguing for place and power. Finally, it meant selfish ambition, the ambition which has no concept of service and whose only aim is profit and power. No concept of service and whose only aim is profit and power. Ambition, there are, there's a kind of ambition that's good for you. I hope that every man has the ambition to care for his wife, to feed his family, to, like, ambition is why we go to school. We want to improve ourselves, and that's a good thing. There is also a selfish ambition where we jockey for position. We strive for power for our own sake, for our own gain. That is the kind of ambition That is not helpful. So there's an ambition which serves people. I want to find a job because I want to provide for my family. And there's an ambition which serves yourself. I want to find a better job because I want to be more respected, make more money. You just insert your idol here. And that's the selfish ambition. That's living for something else. And this kind of ambition is just torn churches, families apart because it's the business world. Like, people get stepped on. And in the business world, it's just what you do because it's how you're supposed to... I mean, it's just how it works for them. 
And this kind of ambition has no place in the church. In contrast, then, to a selfish ambition and conceit, so self-centeredness still, is humility of mind, counting others more significant than oneself. So, more significant here in uh, verse 3, count others more significant than yourselves, you see that, it literally means surpassing. So it's not, well, what do I think here? It's that they are to be considered more valuable than you. So he's going to get into the example of Christ, and this becomes a lot clearer. So verse 4, I'm telling you, these two verses really repeat each other. Don't look out only for your own interests. In that phrase, don't look out only for your own interests, he does not deny that you have legitimate interests. You have interests. Don't look out only for your interests. Considers other people's interests, their needs, their desires as more significant than your own. It's not devaluing you. It is you purposefully elevating other people above you. That's the kind of other's mindset that he is trying to get us to have here. So here we go. I've got two definitions for you. One of them I put in your notes. One of them is on humility. Because we're talking about pride here and we're talking about humility. So let's really clarify what kind of a humility of mind is he talking about. There is a fabulous teeny little book by Stuart Scott called From Pride to Humility. You've never read that book? Then if you think you're all of that in a bag of chips, you need to read that book (laughs) because that, that will tear you apart. It is so good for teaching humility and teaching what pride is. So it's by Stuart Scott from Pride to Humility. So in this book, then he defines pride as the mindset of self, a master's mindset rather than that of a servant, a focus on self, the service of self, the pursuit of self-recognition and self-exaltation, the desire to control and use all things for self. How many times did he just say self there? It was a ton. Pride is about me. What can I get from this? What are you going to do for me? How do I manipulate the situation so that I come out on top? How do I get what I want? In this definition of pride, which he does a very, Stuart Scott does a very good job at like walking you through scriptures and defining this, giving shape to this definition. But in this definition of pride, you'll notice there is absolutely, there's absolutely nothing that has to do with other people. Absolutely nothing with other people. Contrast that then with the mindset of humility. And here's how we're defining humility. And I put this in your notes. And I want you to have this. This is something worth mulling over in your mind. Humility... The mindset of Christ, a servant mindset, a focus on God and others, a pursuit of the recognition and the exaltation of God, and a desire to glorify and please God in all things and by all things he is given. Completely the opposite. So you'll notice in this definition of humility then, to contrast it with the definition of pride, it said absolutely nothing about self. 
Pride had everything to do about self. Humility had everything to do about God and others. You will also notice in this definition, it says nothing about groveling. So we think of humble people, and we think of like teeny little people who are, uh, who are meek, uh, who don't have a spine, maybe. And that's not what he says here. He says a humble person, it, he, he has a mindset of Christ had. Christ was not a weak person. You remind you, John, the gospel, right? He was running around flipping tables in the temple. <laughs> that, that is not what we think of when we think of a humble person. Yet he was a servant, and he had an ambition for God's glory. And that is what he wanted. His strong desire was not to see him exalted, but God exalted. And again, that's where we're going we're gonna to really see this. He wanted to see God exalted and us served. God exalted, us served. And so if we're to follow his example, then we must exalt God and serve others. Pride, exalt me, serve myself. Humility, exalt God, serve others. That's why we're not looking out for our own interests, me, but also the interests of others, you. Where am I at in my notes? I'm pre- pre- pressing on then to verse 5. The second point here, have this mind. And we're going to slow way down because I'm going to talk about two words, this and mind. But let's read uh, verses 5 through, we'll start with 8. We'll end to 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Look with me at verse 5. Because that's a beautiful passage. Look with me at verse 5. Have this mind. So we've talked about what he means by mind. Have this way of thinking and of judging about you. The way that Christ thought and the way that Christ acted. Think that way. Do that. This. Yay, next word. We're getting there. Have this mind. What is this referred to? Because it's not helpful to say this and not know what on earth he's saying. This refers to everything after the word who in verse 6. And so <laughs> I'm saying that this little four-letter four word, this mind, refers to anything from 6 to verse 11. That's a chunk. That's a lot to keep in mind. And it is the mindset that Christ had. And he is showing you, When Christ thought this way, that is in a way that was acted in accordance with, was um, keeping with humility, 
this is what it looked like. I'm, humility and service of others can look like a million different things in the world. And that's why it's five verses long. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now we're getting into the good stuff. Verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's work through the progression of what Paul said here real quick. So, who... Though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But instead, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Okay, so you see the progression? In the form of God, became a servant. And uh, verse 8, and being found in human form, so we're right here, right? Being found in human form, he humbled himself. You see that? He's equal with God. He steps down and becomes a servant. And then he stepped down and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Didn't he already humble himself when he stepped down out of heaven, became a baby, took on human flesh, knelt down, washed the disciples' feet, said to the little children, come to me? Didn't he already humble himself when he hate with tax collectors and sinners when he received like jeerings and mockings from the crowds. Like, didn't he already humble himself doing all of that? Just, just becoming a human, God, just becoming human is a big leap. And it is not said that he humbled himself until verse 8. So he kept stepping down. He was equal, is equal with God. And he stepped down from that, became a man, stepped down from that. That's what humility does. That is what service to other people does. And so it, it steps down. It doesn't, it doesn't try and lift itself up. That's what he's doing. He's not lifting himself up. And we'll see that in a second when we talk about what it means that he did not count with God equality with God, a thing to be grasped. He didn't lift himself up, but instead he kept climbing downwards in order to serve us and in order to be obedient to God. More importantly, to be obedient to God the Father. You think, that's weird. I thought the Trinity was supposed to be equal. They are. They are. Don't hear me say that. They, they are equal. Christ is 100% God. He is equal with the Father. The Spirit is equal with the Father and the Son. But it's the way the Trinity relates. And the way that the Trinity relates is that the Father sends the Son. So this right here, it is just normal language to hear that Jesus came down from heaven, and when he came down from heaven, he died and was obedient. That just makes sense because that's the way the Trinity relates. Look at this, though. It is even more amazing that he stepped down twice. But though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. If you're reading the King James, it's got this funny little like phrase in there. Did not count equality with, or thought it not robbery. That's how it says. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. 
We don't talk like that, but that's helpful language. <laughs> so thought it not robbery. He didn't, he didn't consider that it would be stealing something if he became equal with God. So it definitely is true, right? Is he not God? Yes. So does that not mean he would be equal with God? Yes, he would be equal with God. Would he not then, if he took up his equality with God, would it be by unjust means? No, he wouldn't be taking up uh, equality with God by unjust means. Verse 7, but he emptied himself. He emptied himself. Out of all of us (laughs) who think we are owed something, he really was. Let's, let's look at some of this. What was he owed? Psalms 2, an inheritance of nations. Ask of me and I will give the nations to your inheritance as an inheritance. Uh, Hebrews 1. I had to think, man, I cannot read all of Hebrews 1. He is, he is worthy of the worship of angels. Colossians 1. Okay, that is, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. That whole passage there, he is the firstborn, he is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that in all things he might be preeminent. He really is preeminent. And it wouldn't have been robbery, it wouldn't have been unjust if he had just become equal with God. But he took on the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of men. So we, who unjustly try to get above, we try and climb up the ladder, and all he did was climb down. He had the right to climb up. He climbed down. That's your example. That's my example. When I think that I'm owed anything, Maybe I really am. It doesn't matter. What Christ did was he served me. He had the mindset of a servant, came down, served us, was obedient to the Father, and died. That's our example. What what will that look like in your home? A million different things. It will literally look like a million different things. I noticed something. While I was thinking about this this week, 1 Corinthians 13. I'll flip over there real quick. There's some, uh, there's some interesting parallels here between humility and love. If we're going to think about what is this supposed to look like, um, where am I at? Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Boasting, envying, being arrogant... It's insisting on your own way. All of that, we just said, was humility. So there is a connection here 
between, be, between love and humility. So if we use Pastor Dan's definition that he is constantly giving to us, which is great, I love it. <laughs> to love is to get, because now I remember, I don't have to write it down. To love is to give whatever I have that you need because God wants me to. So it, it's service to you. And so what's the connection between humility and love? Humility is the mindset of a servant and love is the actions. So when you're going to practice humility, you practice it by being loving. This is about your mind. He kept talking about mind. This is about your mind, your way of thinking. This is your way of valuing and evaluating situations. And it comes out of you as love and as obedience to the Father. So that's what we're looking at. If we're going to think about how do we apply humility. Now I have to find where I'm at again because I'm jumping around here a little bit. So verses 9 through 11 then. Uh, let's start at verse 8. We'll get a running start again. And being found, this is Philippians 2. I flipped back over. Sorry, guys. And being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I almost don't want to say anything. Because that's glorious. I will add a few comments just to help with and thinking, just to help us meditate on it more. Isaiah 45, what Keith read this morning at the beginning, Isaiah 45, 22 and 23 is where Paul is borrowing from. It, God's talking about him to turn, the nations will turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn and from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a world a word that shall not return. To me, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. Paul's directly borrowing from Isaiah. And he's saying, in Christ, and because of Christ's humility, and because Christ has come to save the nations, has he not? This word is fulfilled in him. And because Christ was a servant and he had the mindset of a servant, and he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because of that, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Christ, of Christ Jesus, every tongue, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To what end? To the glory of of God the Father. To what end do we practice humility? We've already established it's not selfishness. It's not even the service of others. It looks like the service of others. Why does it look like the service of others? Because of the two greatest commandments. The two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and 
love your neighbor as yourself. And John, 1 John tells us that the first commandment, in fulfilling the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you fulfill the second one. And so, in service to others, we're giving glory to God. Like Christ did when Christ came down and was obedient and served us, and now he's exalted, but not for his own end. It is, you know, there's a Trinity thing again we have to deal with. But it is for the purpose of to the glory of the God of God the Father. Let me show you something. I'll make it really clear here. What am I got? John 12, 12, 27, and 28. This will make, just clear up all of my muttering. I should have just read it and let the Lord speak. And Alas, he uses broken vessels. So John 12, 27. This is Jesus. He's just had the triumphal entry. He's in the city. And now some Greeks come to, um, is it Andrew and Andrew and Philip? Uh, yeah, they come to Philip. Oh, they come to Philip first. And they come to Philip and they say, hey, we're Greeks. We want to see Jesus. And Philip goes, I don't know if that's okay. Andrew, what do you think? And Andrew goes, uh, I don't know. Let's just ask him. And then Jesus starts in this little bit of a discourse here. Uh, so... 12, starting at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, the hour of the cross that's approaching. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Christ came and was obedient and came to the hour of death very specifically for the glory of God. And God was glorified and he will be glorified again when every knee bows and when every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. Amen is right. So if we're going to take all of what I've said, let's just zoom back out because we went pretty deep in. So let's just zoom back out. We're to be unified. If we're not unified, God's not getting glorified. By this, they will know that we are from God, that you love one another, which is the actions of, the mindset of, humility. And then I read Psalm uh, 133, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. If we're not unified, it will not be good and it will not be pleasant. Let me throw in an example here. I don't have permission to do this. And I might be presenting some of the facts wrong, but Pastor Dan can correct me later. <laughs> but I remember him telling me a story about when he became pastor, the senior pastor here at Calvary Bible Church. They were just on a rough time. And it was him and it was Jim Pittman, Pastor Dan's the associate pastor. What a day that was. And they couldn't make it work. 
they couldn't have the two full-time guys. One of them had to go. And Jim said, I'm older. I've got more experience. I can find a place. You can stay. And here we are today. A unified people. A growing church. Because those two men said, we want to do what's best for the church. And Jim said, I want to do what's best for Dan. That was love coming from humility, a man looking out not only for his own interests, also the interests of others. And what are we doing now? To the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Mm, Father, you are good. You are so good. And you are good to us. And you are kind to us. Help me, Father, to be a humble man who doesn't look out for my own interests, but the interests of my brothers and the interests of my sisters. Father, forgive me for the selfishness that, that doesn't look out for them, that doesn't care for them in the ways that they need. Change my way of thinking so that I will love them better and so that you will be glorified more. All this we pray in the name of the Father and the Son. In the Holy Spirit, amen.